Welcome back to the Der Show. Um, the motto of the Congress, not only this Congress, but past Congresses, should be hypocrisy prevails. And let me give you a perfect example of hypocrisy on both sides of the aisle. It starts with the uh, Republicans uh, today. Uh, here's the headline. Uh, and the headline is House GOP lays groundwork for Mayorkas impeachment as moderates bork. So the Republican leaders want to impeach the Secretary of Homeland Security because they don't like the way he's been handling the border. I don't like the way he's been handling the border. Most Americans don't like the way he's been handling the border. And here's the way Speaker uh, McCarthy put it. It's so interesting. Should that person stay in the job? I raise the issue they shouldn't. The thing we can do is we can investigate. Then that investigation could lead to an impeachment inquiry, McCarthy told CNN, adding it could rise to that occasion of impeachment if Mayorkas is found to be derelict in his duties. Now, remember that, derelict in his duties, exactly the opposite of what Republicans argued when they were defending Trump against impeachment on the ground that he had you know, mismanaged, was derelict, had uh, done uh, uh, maladministration, etc. So that's the Republican hypocrisy. Now, 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 let's look at the the Democrat hypocrisy. "Quote: Democrats say Republicans are threatening to impeach Mayorkas for pure political reasons and say policy disputes hardly rise to the level of high crimes and misdemeanors." Well, they said that policy disputes do rise to the level of high crimes and misdemeanors when they were trying to impeach Trump. Now, nobody passes the shoe on the other foot test. Now, half of you people out there are probably Republicans. Half of you probably are Democrats. Half of you think everything Trump does is right. Everything Biden does is wrong. Half of you think everything Biden does is right. Everything Trump does is wrong. You're all wrong. You're all wrong. And you're all a bunch of hypocrites if that's what you think. We have to have single standard of justice, a single standard for impeachment. You can't go around impeaching Democrat cabinet members on grounds that you rejected when your candidate, a Republican, was subject to impeachment. That's not the rule of law. That's not the rule of morality. That's exactly what Alexander Hamilton said was the worst possible thing under the Constitution to make impeachment turn on who has the most votes. And that's exactly what's happened. The House is taken over by Republicans. MacArthur, McCarthy is now the House Speaker. Says, look, I'm in power now, so I can tell you what an impeachment is. And impeachment is dereliction of duty. You know, the framers explicitly rejected that. There was a proposal to make maladministration a ground for impeachment. That was the proposal. And James Madison, the father of the Constitution, said, no, that would turn us into a British parliamentary system in which Congress gets to determine who the president is. And that's not what we want in a republic. So the framers explicitly rejected dereliction of duty. And so, Speaker McCarthy, go back and read the Constitution. Go back and read what you said when Trump was being impeached. No, no, we can't have impeachment on grounds of maladministration or dereliction of duty. No, only when it's a Democrat, then you can. What do you do about that? What do you do about this hypocrisy? What do you do about this double standard? You just ignore it. 
you just say, hey, I'm a Democrat, so whatever the Democrats do, that's okay. Or, hey, I'm a Republican. Whatever the Republicans do, that's okay. That's what most Americans say. Most Americans just think along partisan party lines. Does it help the Democrats? Does it help the Republicans? Does it help my candidate? Does it hurt my candidate? Does it help my ideology? Does it hurt my ideology? The Constitution for me, but not for thee. That's the world we're we're living in. And the Mayorkas argument is a perfect example of where we've gotten to as the result of this dual hypocrisy on, on both sides. It wasn't limited. It isn't limited to impeachment. Look at what happened with Merrick Garland. Merrick Garland gets nominated, highly qualified. You may not like what he's done as attorney general, but when he was nominated to be on the Supreme Court by Barack Obama, couldn't be more qualified. You know, he was a judge for many years, down the middle. Everybody thought very highly of him, graduated Harvard Law School, worked in the Justice Department, was eminently well qualified. The Republicans wouldn't even give him a hearing. Why? Because they didn't have to. They had the votes. They wouldn't give him a hearing. They made up an excuse. They said, you don't nominate somebody to the Supreme Court during a presidential year. When there's eight or nine months before the election, you don't nominate somebody to the Supreme Court. You wait until the election. Okay, so Garland didn't get his hearings and he didn't get appointed. Flash forward and we see Barrett gets nominated to the Supreme Court weeks, just a few weeks before the uh, election. Um, and, and, and the Republicans are asked, well, well, well how, how could you do that? You said you don't confirm somebody in the year of the election. And now you're doing it weeks before the election. Hey, we can. We did it. We can. There's a dirty joke about that. I'm not going to repeat it. The punchline is because they can. Because they can. And that's been the motto, because they can. There's no morality. There's no consistency. There's no shoe on the other foot. There's no compliance with any kind of standards when it comes to Congress. If we have the votes, we're going to do it. If you don't have the votes, too bad. Don't cite precedent. Don't cite what we said before. We're not bound by what we said before. We're entitled to be hypocrites if hypocrisy serves the interests of our, our party. Look, I, I don't think that uh, uh, Mayorkas has been a great secretary. I, I do think he also made some statements in front of Congress, which I think he now regrets about the secure border. The border is a disaster. We should have immigrants in our country. We, 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 we are a nation of immigrants, but you can't let people just come through and, 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 and engage in, in dangerous behavior. You have to have standards. You have to have rules. You have to make people stand on line. Uh, you don't make people jump lines. Um, uh, so, so I'm not a fan of, of Mayorkas. Um, and if I were advising the president, which I'm not, I would advise him to replace him with somebody who's tougher on border security. Um, but that's not a ground for impeachment. And, and, and you know, we fought so hard for that principle um, when President uh, 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 Trump was was impeached. You know, I'm not a Trump supporter. I would have been very happy if there had been another president other than President Trump. And that's why I voted for Hillary Clinton, Biden, and plan to vote against Trump again. But I didn't think he should be removed by impeachment because 
people didn't like his conversations with uh, the Ukraine or people didn't like other things he did or because he um, abused power. Every president has been accused of abusing power or because he obstructed Congress. That's part of the role of checks and balances for each branch to obstruct the other a little bit. So uh, but but, you know, I fought so hard and, and, and Republicans fought so hard to keep the criteria for impeachment pristine, treason, bribery or other high crimes and misdemeanors, not dereliction of duty. And now everybody has switched sides. Now it's the Democrats who are saying, wait a minute, it has to be high crimes and misdemeanors. You didn't say that before. You didn't insist that President Trump be charged with high crimes and misdemeanors. He wasn't. He was charged with abuse of power and obstruction of Congress, not constitutionally permissible grounds for impeachment. I know. I argued that case in front of the United States Senate. And I got applause by the Republicans, standing ovation from the Republicans for making that argument. Now, those same Republicans that applauded me for making that argument are making the opposite argument. And the same Democrats that condemn me for making that argument are making that argument. What's going on? How do we deal with this? How do we get Congress back to a time when you could have principled decision making, when you had principled conservatives like Barry Goldwater, principled liberals like Hubert Humphrey, uh, people who would talk to each other, people who would compromise, people who would say, look, we're doing it this way because we did it this way before, even though it might not come out in favor of my position today. We have to get back to that time, but we're not we're moving away. We're moving in the opposite direction. It's happening all over. It's happening all over the world. In the United States, for example, it's the left that wants to weaken the Supreme Court by packing it and adding four new justices so that they can get their way. In Israel, it's the right that wants to change the nature of the Supreme Court so it can get its way. Everybody wants to get their way. Nobody cares about process, about neutrality, about principles. It's just for me, but not for thee. What can you do for me today? What? Don't ask me to do anything for you. Don't ask me to be consistent. Don't ask me to be principled. That's not my job. My job is to get results, and I don't care how we get the results. If we get the results by cheating, okay. If we get the results by being inconsistent, okay. If we get the results by hypocrisy, that's fine. Just as long as we get the results we want. That's not what democracy is about. That's not what the Bill of Rights are about. That's not what our Constitution was about. That's not what the American Revolution was about. It was about the rule of law. It was about not allowing taxation without representation. It was about high principles. George Washington was one of the most principled men in America when he was the general. He refused to allow our soldiers to engage in what today would be considered war crimes, even in response to British war crimes. Britain, Britain did kill civilians during the Revolutionary War, and, and Washington was, was suggested to by some of his uh, generals, well, why don't we just retaliate and, and kill some officers who are not in the army, some colonial officers, some administrators, some civilians that were British civilians, not too many, but there were some in every major city in the United States. And Washington said, no, we're going to win this war clean. We're going to establish America based on principles. Uh, and, and the Declaration of Independence was based on principles when in the course of human, right, human 
it becomes necessary. It becomes necessary for one country to separate from the other. We're establishing and articulating the principles uh, that justify what we did. And then comes the Constitution, um, which has a preamble that's brilliant and, and a text that has endured for 250 years, not because it was hypocritical. It was. There were hypocritical aspects of it, the way African-Americans were treated, the way slaves were treated. Uh, those were hypocritical compromises that had to be done. But everybody knew they were doing it as compromises. You couldn't get the Constitution enacted uh, with Southern states included within uh, the United States unless you made some compromises and we had to fight a war because you couldn't compromise ultimately over an issue of morality as powerful as, as slavery. So we had to fight, and, and fortunately, the North won um, the, the Civil War, and the, and the slaves were freed, and we, we celebrated that just yesterday with uh, the birthday of uh, the great Martin Luther King, who kind of represented the struggle for civil rights and equality, and if he were alive today, I believe, probably would have continued the struggle for equality, but you'll have a question later on during the question period that raises some doubts about that, and I'll, I'll, I'll respond to that. But I'm here to call for equal application of the law. I'm here to say that when the framers wrote the provision in the Constitution about impeachment, and by the way, there was a debate, should there be a, an impeachment provision? Uh, there were some who said, no, um, president is elected, he can't be impeached, we shouldn't have any impeachment. Uh, there were others who said, well, impeachment is too tough, we should just have a vote of Congress. If the Congress votes that we don't like the president, he should be removed, the British system. Both extreme positions were rejected. And what was accepted was a middle ground, a principled middle ground that said, even if a president engages in maladministration, even if a president engages in dereliction of duty, even if a president keeps the borders or a secretary keeps the borders open when they should be closed, no, that's not a ground for impeachment. That's a ground for not voting for him. But it's not a ground for impeachment. To be impeached, treason, treason, bribery, really, really high crimes, and other, other high crimes and misdemeanors. And I insisted in front of the Senate that when it says other high crimes and misdemeanors, it means criminal type behavior akin to treason and bribery. Every academic in the country condemned me for it. Virtually every academic said I was wrong. And I'm telling you, every one of those were, were wrong. I was right. They were wrong. The Constitution demands that for impeachment, we have criminal type behavior akin to treason and bribery. You want to hear something interesting? The same academics that condemn me for my argument are now going to make that argument on behalf of America because they're a bunch of hypocrites, too. Academia is loaded with hypocrites, loaded with people who construe the Constitution to come out my way. Due process for me, but not for thee. Free speech for me, but not for thee. That's what's happening to America. It's happening in every sphere of life. It's happening in the media. It's happening in academia. It's happening in the clergy. It's happening in politics, of course. And it's even happening in family life. We have ceased to be a moral people. We have ceased to be a people who apply a single standard of justice, a single standard of morality. Maybe we never did but it's worse than it ever was. And why is it worse than it ever was? Because today people are justifying it. 
in the past, people would say, oh, maybe we need to compromise a little bit, but that's, it's a compromise. You know, we understand it's a compromise. Today, people are justifying it. They're saying free speech is just a patriarchal white supremacist notion designed to keep the powerful in power. We don't need free speech. Due process, why do we need due process? We know who's guilty. If a man is accused by a woman, of course the man's guilty. What do you need due process? What do you need a trial? That's what we're coming to. That's what we're achieving. That's what both Republicans and Democrats are pushing us toward, becoming a country of result-oriented hypocrites. And I'm going to keep fighting back against that. I'm not winning. I'm not making any converts. In fact, I'm making enemies. Probably on this show, I will make enemies because people will say, oh, you're half right. It's the Republicans who are hypocritical. The Democrats are not. Oh, you're half right. It's the Democrats who are hypocritical. The Republicans are not. We have lost nuance. We have lost the ability to think in a calibrated way to think, eh, maybe you're right, maybe you're wrong. It was a great judge learner hand who once said, the essence of liberty is doubt, is not knowing for certain that you are right. Maybe you're not right. Maybe the other side has a point. Or another great judge, Louis Brandeis, who put it this way. He said, the greatest dangers to liberty lurk in insidious encroachments by men of zeal but without understanding. And that's what we're hearing on both sides. Men and women of zeal who know they're right, know the other side is wrong. Jamie Raskin's perfect example of that. Larry Tribe, perfect example. They know they're right. So the constitution be damned. Two of them are constitutional law professors and they're willing to absolutely ignore the constitution in the interest of a higher goal, the goal of making sure their woke culture becomes the dominant culture of the land. No, uh, this is not about woke culture. This is not about progressive or aggressive, Democrat or liberal. This is about truth, honesty, and morality. And we're lacking that. And it really pains me because I've tried my best to live a life of morality and, and principle. And I'm paying a heavy price for that. I have lost many of my friends on both sides. You know, when I defended Trump saying you needed high crimes and misdemeanors, uh, I lost a lot of friends on the left. Now, when I'm saying you can't impeach Mayorkas because there's no high crimes and misdemeanors and you can't do it for, for dereliction of duty, I'm going to lose friends in the center and on the right. That's the cost. That's the price you pay. That's why I wrote my book, uh, The Price of Principle, Why Integrity is Worth the Consequences. And let me tell you, the consequences are severe, but it's worth it. It's worth it to live a life of principle, to be able to look yourself in the mirror and say, I am opposed both to the misuse of the Constitution to impeach Donald Trump, who I didn't vote for, and I'm in favor of the same standards opposed to the impeachment of Joe Biden, who I did vote for, whose choice was the Secretary of Homeland Security, Mayorkas, who is now being subject to impeachment by the Republican leaders. And you read these articles, and they're just loaded with such hypocrisy and, and such bias and such a one-sidedness. Um, we've only impeached a secretary, a cabinet member, once in our history. It was an important case, in fact. It's the case of William Belknap, who was cited in, in my Senate speech and in some of the debates about the Senate. He was, um, he was the secretary of war, and, and he was impeached, but the Senate voted. It was a very close vote. 
but the Senate voted to acquit him and he was acquitted. So we've never removed a cabinet secretary. We've removed, I think, once a justice of the Supreme Court. We've removed numerous judges for taking bribes. I mean, that bribery, that's one of the criteria for impeachment. So that's a good reason for impeaching somebody. I was asked um, just today, what if it would prove that Mayorkas committed perjury in front of either the House or the Senate? Would that be a high crime and misdemeanor? The answer is yes, it would be. Uh, perjury about the operation of government is distinguished from what Bill Clinton did. He was accused of low crime, uh, perjury about his sex life, about his personal life. That's not an impeachable offense, but perjury about the borders. Um, but of course, it's not perjury to say you believe that the borders are secure. But if they could find something else, some factual statement, not an opinion, then it's really possible that impeachment could be done. But in the end, I do not think we're going to see. An impeachment, first of all, to get an impeachment, you have to get them two thirds of the Senate. Who's going to get a two thirds of the Senate? The Senate is controlled by the uh, um, other side. And so we're not going to see it done. It's just going to be show off just the way it was in, 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 in the Trump case. And um, the American people are going to be the poor for it. Uh, instead of dealing with inflation, instead of dealing with uh, problems that we really have in this country that affect everybody in, in their home, uh, and, and safety on the streets, we're going to be dealing with another impeachment. Oh, come on. It's not going to get us anywhere. It's just going to be an attempt to, by the, by the Republicans this time, to flex their muscles. The Democrats did it last time. They flexed their muscles. Now it's time for the Republicans. Tit-for-tat politics. That's what America has become. It's too bad. It's a great, great tragedy. Okay, let's turn to some letters. I get letters. Okay, we admire your show, but please tell us more on why do you exclude the possibility of prosecution of both Trump and Biden for breaking document security rules? Well, for a lot of reasons. But first of all, um, Biden um, can't be um, uh, prosecuted as a sitting president. How do I know that? Because the Republicans told me when they were trying to indict um, President Trump. The Republicans trotted out the Justice Department rules and the constitutional debates and said, no, 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 you can't you can't prosecute a sitting president while he's president. You can prosecute him after he leaves office. You can impeach him, but you can't prosecute him. But these same people who said you can't prosecute Trump are now saying you can prosecute um, a Biden. So, no, you can't prosecute a sitting uh, president. Moreover, there's no evidence that they uh, intended to do anything wrong now. You know, there are interpretations of the statute that suggest that it's an absolute liability crime, the mere possession of classified material is a crime. But you have to know you're possessing it. And so I don't believe those who say that there's no intent requirement at all. It's a modified intent requirement, but there is a, a mental element uh, involved. And I don't think it would be satisfied in either person's case. OK, Here's a personal thing. Norman Fickelstein accused Dersh of plagiarism. Correct. Yeah, he did. I wrote my book, The Case for Israel, and he said the Mossad wrote it. I didn't write it. Fortunately, I write everything by hand. And so I was able to produce my handwritten document where I wrote every word by hand. And I asked Harvard to do an investigation. So they appointed the former president of Harvard, Derek Bach, to look into the charge. And he said there was nothing to it. There was no basis for it at all. Of course, I wrote every word of The Case for Israel. And now it's being translated, believe it or not, into Arabic. 
it's been translated into, I don't know, about 15 languages, but now Arabic. So I'm really happy that uh, people in Arabic countries can read the case for Israel. You can disagree with it, but at least you'll know what the case for Israel is. Okay, we talked a lot yesterday about meritocracy and what is meritocracy. And here's a good letter. Who gets to decide what is meritorious? Why is playing chess or playing a musical instrument meritorious, but football or basketball aren't? when these sports tend to make money for the universities and build science labs or instruments for the music department. In addition, I wonder if you failed to mention the legacy students being born into a lucky sperm club meritorious. If so, why? I agree with you completely. I would abolish all legacy preferences, uh, all preference. And, and I benefited, uh, not me personally, but uh, relatives uh, benefited uh, from the fact that their parents had gone to, I didn't know, went to Brooklyn College, uh, a free a free school where, where there are no legacies. Everything was based on uh, grade averages and point scores. There were no interviews. There were no essays. It was a pretty good college. But uh, I think schools have a right to decide what meritocracy means, and it could include athletic skills and ability as well as chess. What they cannot do, what they should not do is uh, – take into account at all race, skin color, any more than hair color. I just don't believe that the color of one's skin, and here I have Martin Luther King on my side, the color of one's skin should be a determining factor in whether you're admitted to college. It should be what your background is, who your parents were in terms of what opportunities you had, were you privileged? And, you know, uh, many black people were not, but some are. And the, 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 the African-American applicants who get the greatest advantage um, from race-based affirmative action are the wealthy, affluent, privileged blacks who, just because they're black, get an advantage over less privileged whites. That's, that's just wrong. And so, yeah, schools should have a lot of discretion in deciding what meritocracy is, as long as they commit themselves to admitting on meritocracy. Okay. Okay, here's just Dersha Twat. You're a slimy bag of shit. Go back to YouTube with your rubbish BC communist content. All right, that's just, you know, and people who attack me because I'm a Jew, uh, you just have to know there are these people uh, out there who are willing to make those kinds of, uh, of statements. Okay, here's a historical one. The U.S. response to Pearl Harbor greatly helped Russia as they did not have to worry about their eastern flank. Accordingly, it is not clear that Germany would have been stopped without U.S. intervention. It's a great historical debate. And, of course, the Russians take the position that American intervention in the war wasn't essential to their victory. Once Stalingrad, once the East, once the Germans were stuck in the winter, um, it was only a question of time before, before Russian troops took over uh, Berlin. And, of course, D-Day um, meant that American troops were coming from the west to the east, while the uh, Russian troops were coming from the east uh, to the west, and they closed in, obviously. They reached Berlin. Similarly, the Russians first. The Russians uh, liberated some of the death camps uh, first, although Stalin did order that Russian troops uh, avoid some of the death camps because he didn't want uh, um, uh, Jewish uh, prisoners to be sent to the Soviet Union. There was a lot of a lot of uh, bigotry involved uh, at the end of the war as well. But nobody will ever know what the results of the Second World War would have been if the uh, Japanese hadn't bombed Pearl Harbor. Uh, so reasonable historians can, can disagree 
about that and will continue to. And, you know, there are so many fantastic historical questions. The one I like the best is what would have happened if the South didn't fire on Fort Sumter and simply declared that they were now uh, an independent country, reading from their own Declaration of Independence model on Jefferson Adams' uh, words. Um, would Lincoln have invaded? Nobody knows. I, I love kind of historical hypotheticals because there's never going to be any answer. Okay. Here is a couple more. Let's see. Professor, your opinion on this. I wrote a paper in high school that admissions to college should assign all applicants a number. Race should not be asked. You need numbers. You need numbers because names can be indicative of race. Admission decisions should be based on an applicant that doesn't reveal race or name. This would also limit legacy admissions. Do you see problems with this idea I had when I was 15? We had the idea at the same time. You were 15. I was probably, I don't know how old you are. But when I was 30, I made that suggestion at a meeting at Harvard Law School saying that um, uh, the admissions committee shouldn't know the name of the applicant. Shouldn't, I went even further, shouldn't know the name of the college. Uh, this was admission to law school. Um, it should know if it's a grade one, two, three, or four college. That is, if it's a school with very high standards or low standards. But if it's Princeton, it shouldn't matter whether it's Princeton or the University of Chicago. Uh, equally good schools or City College of New York. So I think the school should decide in advance what the factors are for admission, and they would decide names shouldn't matter. I mean, if they were right, uh, and race shouldn't matter. So name and race shouldn't be on the application. It should be done by by numbers, and then you can have you know chess or athletics and all of those things. But the the three things that Harvard Law School wouldn't have known would be the name of the applicants, whether it's, you know, Thomas Jefferson III or John Marshall III or Alan Dershowitz. You wouldn't know whether the person was Jewish or black or wasp or whatever, and, and, and you wouldn't know the race, obviously. And uh, you wouldn't know the college. You wouldn't know whether it was an elite college in terms of wealth or whether uh, it was an equally good college, uh, but not one that was uh, an elite school. Uh, so I think that would make for a much better admission process. I'm curious uh, what you think. But uh, you were a very smart kid at 15. Um, and it took me until probably I was 30 to come to, to those same ideas. So thank you so much for your letters. Keep writing them. And uh, I'll see you tomorrow for another exciting version of The Dirt Show. <laughs>